So this is a, our, our wrapping up night about the characteristics of Jesus. Um, we did um, a relationship, um, invitation to a relationship from 1 John. So that was the first one we did. Second one we did forgiveness. We looked at the Psalms and the Gospels. The third one we did was humility um, from Ephesians and Philippians. Jim gave that message. And now finally holiness. So these four characteristics of Jesus that we've been looking at are not the full encompassing characteristics of Jesus, but when we study and we look at Jesus, these are four important characteristics that come up about Jesus. So holiness defined here is separate or set apart. The Apostle Paul makes this clear when he writes his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 1. He writes, Paul, a bondservant, which stood for slave back and during that cultural reference at that time, of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart of the gospel. So here, when Paul is defining being separate, he's talking about choosing all things over all things to be fully committed to Christ. And he uses an example of a slave as they were dedicated to their masters in every way. So here he sets himself apart, as he says, as a slave to do the work of God that he has been sent to do. Paul actively, completely chooses to be separate, to have one purpose, one focus, and one mission that was Christ Jesus. Leviticus 19.2 frames holiness in this way. He says here, God speaking to Moses, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, your God, am holy. So holiness is framed as separate. God's apartness from mankind, different than man, perfect in his greatness, in his majesty, purity, and unlike anything that man has ever come into contact with. Because God, being in his character, is divine. Not just a superman of sorts, but being 100% man, but 100% God. And because God is distinctly separate from his creation, and because man, mankind was born in the image of God, Genesis 1.27, we were crafted to be his image bearers with his spiritual DNA. So in this way, we as Christians should follow him, model him, and his truth, and be separate and different than the world. Because of of God's holiness and who he is, we can follow him to be the people God made us to be. So the people of Israel were firstly the people of God before they were God's chosen people. Before they were Israelites, they were God's chosen people. And they did not do well with this being set apart by God. They were actually one of the most wicked people in the Bible. So maybe in the same way that I rebel against God, maybe in the same way that we sin against God, they were still his people. 
And despite their atrocious sins, despite my atrocious sins, he loves us and he loved them like he never loved anyone else. Despite our atrocious sins, and every day he still says, I chose you. Before the foundations of the earth. So in our lives, there must be a difference from the world and how we live our lives. Do we bear the image of Christ well? It's the question that I need to ask myself every day. So I had um, this place I would go, it was blocks away from my, my house growing up, and my brothers and I, we called it Fern Gully. Um, if you've ever watched the movie Land Before Time, um, it's where they, they actually, the dinosaurs were, were living. Um, and there was this really beautiful babbling brook there, so I would go when things were really tough. Um, and this place, to me, was my sanctuary. This is the place where I went when I needed a break. And for me, I took this as my holy place. This is where I went. This is where I went. So maybe some of you here maybe take your birthday seriously, right? And uh, it's a, a, after all, it's a set-apart day for you and for everyone. But here's the deal. When we celebrate our birthdays, we're giving God glory for our birth. And when I was really young, I didn't really get to celebrate too many birthday parties. We did like a James Bond thing where my dad like randomly threw me in a truck and, and we showed up at this, at this field and all my friends were there and they're running around like agents and, and it was like really awesome. But that was pretty much like the only experience I had for a birthday. And when we look at birthdays, they can be the holiest of holy birthdays, the personal holidays for us. So these birth, our birthdays are set apart from anyone else, right? That is our day that we were born. Now, if you had your upbringing, anything like me, specifically to like the early teen years or more so maybe middle age or, or college, um, your life, my life, consisted of growing up in a Christian home, um, but living as practically as a heathen. Um, I, I thank the Lord every day that he removed me, rescuing me from who I was, um, but I would characterize that part of my life being sold out, utterly deceived, and as, as Paul says, a slave to sin. And I think it was really interesting when I heard the word holiness for the first time. I kind of put it into a category, a category of, of fairy tale and fairy tale myth and a gargantuan chain hanging around my neck. And the truth is about holiness, friends, is that could not be further from the truth. And unfortunately, what we see sometimes in the church, people claim to be Christians, and what they do is they wield the term of holiness as a weapon of mass destruction, a way to judge, to slander, or even beat us into the ground until we start to believe, we start to believe that lie that's whispered in our ear that we have out the cross of Christ. And then there's no hope for you. I believe that lie so many times. To quote Pastor Matt Chandler, God does not regret saving you. There is no sin which you could commit which is beyond the cross of Christ. 
I wish I devoured that quote and put it in a doggy bag and saved it for later. Um, But it was not so for me. It was not so. And the sad reality was that this word holiness, every time it was brought up around me, I would roll my eyes or have true anger. Because when I read verses, which I'm going to put up right here, Matthew 5, 48. And this is, this is a hard, interesting verse. When we're looking at it the first time, it seems, it seems to seem like something it's not. So you, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. When I read that, I just want to abort the mission, right? I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, game over, man. Like, seriously? I'm done. I don't know. When I was growing up, I stepped on Legos and the things that came out of my mouth, right? If you've ever stepped on Legos, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or um, if you've ever been hangry, okay? I'm sorry for the things I've said when I'm hangry. Or if I'm in traffic, ask Dean about that. Um, But clearly, right, Matthew, I am sorry. I have failed you. I have failed at being perfect. So I'm, I'm reading this when I was younger and I'm like, no. I don't, I don't understand. You want me to be perfect? No, no, no. That's just not, that's not true, right? So when I look at this, if holiness, specifically God's holiness, did not exist, there would be no hope for us. Out. And reading Matthew 5.48 again, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And realizing that none of us are perfect. And that, my friends, is a reminder of hope. It is. Because there's hope coming. It's here. It's already been. Past, present, future. There is a hope. And it's not defeat. So, I want you to know one thing tonight, a couple things tonight, right? Is this. Holiness is hope, not utter condemnation. Or despair. God's holiness is hope because Jesus is the pure definition of being perfect. And because of that, we have hope. So the scripture, Matthew 5 48, at its core, teaches that Jesus is saying the law, which reminds us that we're sinners, the Ten Commandments, it rightfully judges us. It rightfully shows us that we are sinners and that we need a savior. And it points to something here too. The New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this, all the perfection of God is exemplified by the authoritative interpretation of the law. So this verse here points us to the holiness of God, not the holiness from ourselves, Because we aren't perfect. We never will be perfect. But it's a model of Christ's holiness and how he imputes it. He sends it. It is ours because of Christ Jesus. It's not ours because of ourselves, but it's ours because of Christ Jesus. So going further than that, it's true that we look at the Ten Commandments as an ultimate standard, right? Daily standards as Christians that we should live for. Jesus said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. If you love me, you will follow my commandments. 
So here we see in Matthew 5.48, we must keep the entire law, right? That's what this verse is saying, but no one but him has kept the law. So here, when we look at it, it's a model after our lives, after God in the way that he is perfect. And we will be more like him in that way that God is holy. Pastor John Piper, and I I love this, what he says here about holiness, he says this, the law is holy because it comes from God, not the other way around. I'm going to say that again. The law is holy because it comes from God, not the other way around. And we forget that. We forget the law is holy because the perfect lawgiver made the law himself. And he gave the law to us to remind us that he is holy and that his flag of grace is what we place in the ground. And his holiness, even in our pride, Right When we unsuccessfully, when I unsuccessfully overcome my pride and in my sin, and sometimes we, we try to be more moral, right? We try to be better. It's almost like a checklist, right? You and I are unable, unable to come overcome sin by our own power. But the Holy Spirit's power in Christ's power, we can overcome it. And sometimes we strive so hard. We get so caught up sometimes thinking that if we defeat our sin week to week or we're more moral, right? We start checking the boxes. Like, God, this week, like, I didn't lie, right? I didn't look at porn, right? I'm not tempted. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I'm, oh, you, you fill in the blank. And what happens is we think that God would love us more, right? We do this. And it's so false. God loved each and every single one of us in the deep, dark mire, in the pit, when you were down and out, and you wanted to throw in the towel, and you were at your worst, being moral or good can't impress God with that sort of twisted idea of holiness. Because he is holy, and we never will. But yet, he loved us when we were at our worst. So why would he love us any more at our best? So when we realize being holy means set apart from sin, and we realize that God just wants us to love him first, love him first with our sin, with our depravity, with our scars, and once we understand his love, If we truly understand his love, obedience will follow. So when we understand his love, obedience, our obedience, our call to be perfect, because he's perfect, obedience will follow. So if we understand that, if we understand what Jesus did for us, that Christ sent his son for us, and Truly, we won't ever fully arrive. We'll never fully comprehend his love because it's so wide. Um, Then we will start living differently. Our heart will change because of his holiness in our lives. So my second point is this. When we truly love and focusing on God with our lives, obedience will follow. 
So, if we indeed live perfectly like Jesus, which the Word of God says that Jesus was perfect in every way, there was no sin found in him, he was 100% man and 100% God, but if we live perfectly like Jesus did, we will live rightfully, like Paul points out in Romans, being set apart from the law. And Romans 3.21-22 says this, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, the law being the Ten Commandments, is being revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So that word there, so, but now is referring to, right? And that's the verse that I just brought up there, is referring to what he's talking about in chapter three when Paul says this, right? No one is righteous, not even one. I'm not sure I get it right. No one understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Wow, that's depressing. But. That's a big but. But. Verse 21. The hope. And it goes, and notice, it goes from judgment to now justification. Justification being right before God. Being in right standing with God because of his son and his finishing work on the cross. Because of the truth, his holiness is revealed in Christ Jesus in the person of Jesus. So verse 21, Romans 3.21, now, but now the righteousness of God, which is the, which is the act of having no sin... Jesus Christ, who, I did that one time, right? And it's, yeah, yeah, it starts to read it for you, and you're like, oh my gosh! Okay. Um, which is the act, Emily. Which is, I did it in a church service, so it was worse. <laughs> but now, the righteousness of God, which is the act of having no sin, Christ was the opposite of being a lawbreaker, which all of mankind is, his sinlessness here is revealed, being witnessed by the law. So every single bit of the law, Christ fulfilled, right? He did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law through Christ Jesus. And the prophets, right? The prophets like Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Zechariah, they all prophesied about Jesus being the Messiah and being holy, being set apart from every mankind, being set apart from his creation. So verse 22, even the righteousness of God through what? Faith. Faith only found in Christ Jesus and to all who believe. So through faith, we are admitting that every single one of us is not Perfect, but our Holy Father is. Our Holy Father is. And that we have broken the law and that we need a Savior from all the crap and all the wrongdoing that I've done in my life, that you've done in our life, that we will continue to do on in our lives has been retroactively paid for, past, present, and future on the cross. And that should change us. 
That should really change us knowing that God's holiness, his, he's already paid for it. He already knew we were going to sin, but he said, I am the model. I am the bar where everyone else has to come to, right? And this, and this holiness, this righteousness is imputed to us and it's freely given. It's freely given. It's not something that you can strive for. It's not something that you can pay for because it's already been paid. And the crazy thing, to end here, the crazy thing is this, that so, so many times we count so many other things as more holy than Christ. So many times, like our girlfriends, our boyfriends, our spouses, our cars, our friendships, our pursuits, our jobs, all these things can be good things. But if they take the place of God, if they take the place of the Savior who gave his life for us on the cross, it's a problem. We don't understand his holiness. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 speaks to his holiness, the servant king, and how we should emulate everything that we do in his kingship, in his characteristics that we've gone over, the characteristics of Christ Jesus. And this is the man, this is the man that we serve. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says this, have this in mind, young, among yourselves, which is Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God for something of his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found as an appearance as man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. And that's the servant that we serve the holiness comes from this man. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and be a ransom. A ransom, paying it. It's already been paid for many. So no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do in our lives and we strive, we can't. Jesus, above all things, with his equality with the Father already achieved, chose to become man, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, the God-man, came to die for us. And I still don't understand why I'm worth it. I still don't understand why we were worth it to him. But he thought we were. So my last point here is that because of Christ's holiness, he changes our hearts and sets us apart from sin and from the world as his people. So here being set apart, theologian R.C. Sproul, and this is the last quote that he'll use, I love quotes, um, because they're much smarter and more, more knowledge than me here. Um, Sproul says this, what makes something holy is the touch of God on it. What makes something holy is the touch of God on it. God touches our lives. He touches his holiness. His being in us changes us. It should change us. And it prepares us. And this is important. It prepares us to minister to the people that are in darkness. Because once they see that in us, once they see the holiness that has been imputed 
from Christ onto us, it cannot be ignored. It cannot be ignored. And so when you have your family and friends and you know they're going through a dark place and you've been striving and trying to do your best to be moral, to be as holy as Christ, and he says, I love you. Just jump into my arms. That is all I'm asking you to do. Love me and the obedience will follow. And do we believe that tonight? In our lives, do we really believe that? That his holiness is perfect, that it sets us apart, and that we can trust God even in the times that we shouldn't trust anyone. And in those moments when we're trying so hard to be good, God's not saying that. He's saying, be like me because I am holy. He knows you're a sinner, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. So remember that. Love him and obedience will follow. So I want to end with a video, a music video. This is banned by 10th Avenue North. Does anyone, does anyone know this band? Okay. Um, they were really, really small in like 2006. And I met him. We had a conversation for about an hour after his, uh, his concert. And he said, um, he talked about a lot about not trusting the Lord in his life. But um, when he wrote this song, his name's Mike uh, Donahue. Um, he wrote this song called The Struggle. And he tried to communicate a couple things. He said, one, that in Christ we're free to struggle, right? All of us being humans will sin, will struggle, and will fail. But it's not, and this is important, it's not our performance that validates us. It's not our performance, it's the blood of Christ. He said, struggling, we are not struggling not to be free, but we are struggling because Christ has already redeemed us as sons and daughters. 